speaker this morning. He's, he's part of our junior high ministry, actually a pastor of junior high. Come on up here. I'm going to pray for you as we get started. So Tim Holt, yes. many of you know so. him? I think so. You're going to be at Moonlight Monday tomorrow morning? Yeah, I will be. That'll awesome. Be nice. Let me pray for you. Father, we are so grateful to have Tim as part of our staff. Thank you for what you're doing in him and through him. Thank you for the energy that he brings to our student ministries. And Lord, as you speak through him this morning, will you prepare our hearts to learn what you have to say to us about slowing down and being with you on the Sabbath. And I'm just grateful for the, the thoughts and the gifts that you've given to him today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jonathan, so much. Well, hey, like he said, guys, uh, this is Youth Pastor gets to take the, give the message Sunday, which means you guys can go, aw, really fast. It's okay. No, I'm just messing. But just to remind you, you didn't pay anything to get in here, so whatever I give you is better. I don't know, something like that. Anyway, hey, guys, I'm excited that you're here with me this morning. Uh, like he said, my name's Tim. Uh, hey, I've got a couple things for you this morning I'm really excited to share with you. Uh, but here's my ask for you. I tell this to our students all the time is please take out your phones, take out your notebooks, whatever you have to give notes on. I believe that listening to a message comes in two parts. It comes in the hearing, which you guys are doing right now, and the digesting later. So I'm going to ask that you take notes. I've got some stuff on the screen for you guys this morning. And as you're with your family over lunch, as you're hanging out in the evenings, uh, or just in the quietness of your own home, man, please feel free uh, to take out those notes. Ask God what speaks to you. Uh, spit out the things that don't, but whatever God's trying to tell you guys, man, let that matriculate into your heart this morning. Okay, cool? All right. So hey, we're going to be opening up to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. We've been in a series on the the Ten Commandments called The Path of Life, and I'm excited to share this with you guys this morning, but first I've got a little story for you guys. Um, I was, when I was five years old, I was in one of those cool neighborhoods, and I was of that generational time where my parents were just like partially negligent, but like in a good way, you know? My teenagers are like, yeah, we can tell. And so what would happen was at, on Saturday mornings, we'd have lunch, we'd have breakfast, and we'd have lunch, and then my mom would ever so lovingly kick me out the front door, lock the door behind me, and say, do not come back until the street lights are on. Any Anybody a part of that crowd generation? Yes, thank you. Better times. And so my parents would say, go out. And so here's what would happen. All the kids in the, in the cul-de-sac would meet in the center, and we'd all go to the different streets and houses and play at each other's houses. It was tons of fun. But in our street, we had this understanding that on Saturday, if the fence was open, that means it was open for business. It meant that the kids could come in and play in your backyard and all that stuff. And our favorite house wasn't open all the time, but sometimes it was open. The guy's name was Doc. And I didn't know any of, anything else about him except his name was Doc, because I think in Texas you only have one name sometimes. He didn't have last names. But, I, but we loved Doc because he had this great big playground in the back, and he'd always feed us cookies. That was like the big thing. And not in a creepy way. He was actually a really nice dude. He was this nice old guy. Maybe he was creepy. I don't know. Anyway, but it was really great at the time. And so he was like the nicest guy in the world. And at one, this one Saturday, we come out into the, into, the, into the world. My parents say, don't, please, don't come back until the streetlights are on. And we, and we look down the street and we see Doc's house is open. Like his, his fence is open. I'm like, yes, we're going to go to Doc's house this morning. And we're going to get cookies. It's going to be great. And so we're running down the street and we walk towards it. And as I come inside, I see, the first thing I see is I see Doc is direct, dressed very strangely. Okay? Doc is dressed very strangely. He has this big old like tarp looking apron robe thing. is white on him. And then he's got these goggles on, big goggles. He's got a face mask on. And he's got like this big hair covering thing. It was very strange. He was the most clean looking guy for like a six year old Texan I'd ever seen in my life. And so he had this thing on. He had this big old fat butcher knife. I'm talking like, like to me at the time, it was massive. 
Now, what Doc was into that I did not realize at the time was Doc was into hunting. He really loved to go hunting. And so uh, during hunting season, he had got himself a deer. And what was happening in his backyard that we did not know about was that he had left his gate open by accident. He had a deer strung up over a tree. And when you go to eat a deer, you have to, like, take things out of the deer is all I'm going to say for this morning for you, those that are squeamish. And so I walk in at the exact moment where Doc is like like opening things up and just things are coming out and it's making like a sound like like kind of thing like it was disgusting it was gross and so just everything splatters on him and as a five-year-old who loved Bambi uh, all of a sudden I was just like I started screaming I mean just like bloody murder ah! and of course poor Doc it feels so bad and he's just covered in like this deer everything and so I start running back towards my house full sprint my friends are following after me I'm full sprint running at my back back to my house and what Doc doesn't realize, and just a misunderstanding happened, because Doc thought what's going to be good right now is I'm going to go try to calm down these children, okay? But the thing is that Doc is dressed in bloody white rags with a big old knife, and he just starts running down the street after us as kids. I mean, he's just like, and he's saying stuff like, come back, it's okay, just come back, like all this stuff. And like, I mean, we are just terrified screaming. My dad has to come out and understand why there is a bloody dressed man, like chasing his kid with a knife. And it, it all turned out to be a big misunderstanding but it was one of those misunderstandings that to me like defined a little bit about who I was in my neighborhood I was scared to go back into that space anymore well this morning guys we're going to be talking about a misunderstanding that I actually had in the scripture before I started studying this message you see we're going to be talking about Sabbath today and if you're like me I grew up in church I'd heard about Sabbath I knew Sabbath was maybe Sunday but I knew it was a day of rest to come be with God's people and that's great but that's all I knew it was even up to this last week I'll be vulnerable and when they said, hey, Tim, we want you to teach on Sabbath, I said, great. And I went to study it, and I went, oh, my gosh, I totally have misunderstood Sabbath. Like, I got a little part of it, but I didn't get the whole picture. And this morning, I really would love to share the whole picture of Sabbath with you. I'd love to share what God's heart is for it, how it can change you. I really do believe God can do great things through this message in you today. So let me pray for this message because I love to dedicate this time to the Lord. And something I will always say in these prayers is, God, I declare if it's good, because I want you guys to know that only God can speak good things to change your soul this morning, okay? Amen? Come on, let's pray. God, thank you so much for all of my friends here. God, thank you so much that we get to come here uh, not as pastor and parishioner, not as someone on stage and people off stage, but just as brothers and sisters in Christ. God, all sitting at your feet, if the feet of your word this morning, here to learn and understand more. So God, I pray that you would just calm my heart, calm the hearts of the, of the people out in the audience today, God. And Jesus, I just, I do declare this, God, that if it's good, it comes from you, and if it's not, it probably comes from me, God. So speak through me. Um, God, I pray that you'd speak to people in ways that they didn't know they needed to be spoken to this morning. And Jesus, let me pray. And all God's people said, amen. All right, now I want to put you into the shoes of Moses right after he's received the Ten Commandments. He's just come out of the Shekinah of glory of God, this massive cloud that overshadows this big mountain called Mount Sinai in the Arabian Peninsula. And he's coming down out of this cloud, and he's recounting, you've got to imagine, he's recounting what has happened in these past couple of days. Because he's actually gone up on top of this mountain, God's glory came around him, it says that he was one of the only human beings on earth to actually see God in the flesh, only was able to see his back, but he saw God in the flesh, heard God speak to him. You can imagine the passion, the joy, the excitement you would have if you were Moses. Sometimes I wish, I'm like, God, I just wish I could see you and you'd talk to me. Moses actually had that experience. And God tells him all of these things that we're about to read and what we've been studying, and he gives him these two tablets with the, which these Ten Commandments are written on. And he says, go down the hill and give these to your people. 
go down the hill and proclaim this good news to them. And Moses is probably elated because he's been leading this people of Israel. They're camped at the bottom of this mountain for a little while now. And they've just kind of been wandering. They've been waiting for God to show them what to do. And finally, they've got a mission. They've got something to do. He's got the next step forward. And can you imagine if you're Moses, you'd be so excited. I would be if I was leading a people. I've got some marching orders. I've got some things to do. So he's trudging down this mountain. It's hot. He's coming out of the cloud there. It's hot on this mountain. He's walking down, sweat streaking, beating down his brow. And I can imagine if I were him, I'd want to kind of start to reread what's on the what's on the tablets, because I'm about to have to give the message that probably changes our nation, and I'm even back there beside Millie, and I'm like reading through my notes really quick, making sure I've got what I've got, so you can imagine if you're Moses, you are reading through your notes, you're trying to understand what to say, and, and in this, you would notice three things if you're Moses, okay, here's the first one, you'd notice that these commandments are built, are to build a set-apart nation, they're meant to build a set-apart nation, these commandments are obviously different than any of the nations that Moses had been a part of, different than Egypt, different than the surrounding shepherding areas. These were different. These had a set of moral code that was different than what he was used to. Spoke of one God, not many. And obviously, God was trying to create a society and a culture set apart for him in those Ten Commandments. The second thing you notice is this. The commandments were obviously in some sort of order of value, like from most important down to still important but not quite as. And what you can see as, well, I can prove that to you, is here the first one is, you shall have no other gods before me. That's a really important one. That's like definitely number one for a God-fearing society. Two, you shall not make any idols and bow down to them. Again, very, very important to a God-fearing society. Second most important, third most important, do not take the name of the Lord in vain. We learned about this last week with Ryan. It was so good. He said that means we just shouldn't misrepresent God's name. I thought that was so good, right? So three very, very important commands. And then we get to number four. And here's the third thing you would see if you were Moses you would see that this fourth commandment seems really out of place at first glance. Because the fourth commandment is this. Let's jump into Exodus chapter 20, uh, verse number 8. Here we go. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and, all do, and do all your work. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, your male or female servant, your animals, or any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now guys, remember, put yourself in Moses' shoes. You're coming down the mountain. You read these three such important commands. And after these commands, by the way, you see don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't covet your neighbor's wife. All of these things that for a society are pretty important. Like, I would put those up there as very, very important. We don't want murderers in our society. We don't want people that are stealing all the time in our society. So why, after all these God-fearing commands, and then after this command, you've got all of these really important things like don't murder, here's how to set up a great society for the Lord. Why do we have take a day off? It doesn't really make a lot of sense, to me anyway. Why do we have just take a day off, take a day of rest, and remember God like, great, Lord, but I would, I would have put that maybe at 8, 9, or 10, if I'm honest. And that's why I'm not God, but that's where I would have put that. And so, why is this command, why is that command so high on the list? Why are we doing this today? Why are we learning about this one instead of another one of those before this one, right? Why is it so high on the list? Well, guys, I want to talk to you guys about that today. So, let's talk about where this word Sabbath comes from. You see, Moses actually wrote the books of Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. Very prolific guy. Joshua helped him with the end of Deuteronomy there. But this was because written word and, like, codifying your religion and what you believe was actually coming into practice 
at this point, hadn't really been before. Before this, there had been oral traditions. And what had happened was people from Adam all the way down to Noah through Abraham would have shared the story of how the world was created. They would have shared what they'd learned, and they would have said, here's the story of the creation of the world. And what Moses did was he wrote these things down, and so he would have known what Sabbath day was because in Genesis chapter 2 that he wrote down, he wrote that for six days God created the world, and on the seventh day he rested. And that's the first thing you need to know about Sabbath is the day of, it's a day of rest instituted by the Lord in Genesis chapter 2. It's a day of rest instituted by the Lord in Genesis chapter 2. The all-powerful God took a day to stop, which is really, really weird because he's an all-powerful God. I mean, if you look at the Bible, Genesis is this big and the rest of the Bible is this big. You got a lot more to do, but he took time to stop to show his people that, guess what? You need to stop as well every once in a while. It's time for you to stop. It's time for you to make this day mine. It's a day of rest instituted by the Lord. The second thing is this. Sabbath means to seize, means to stop where you are. We translate it rest oftentimes in our Bible, but it's actually literally in Hebrew a day of seizing. It's a day of just stopping where you are, stopping whatever you're doing, and focusing on the Lord. The third thing he knows Sabbath to be is it's a holy day for the cessation of secular work. Secular being the things that are outside of God, just jobs, things outside of what God is doing in your life, secular and sacred. And so it's a day for cessation of regular work, okay? And so again, this stuff is so good, and it's great to seize and rest, but why is it so high on the list? Again, I go back to my question, which is like, Lord, why did you put that as like the fourth most important thing in the Ten Commandments? That's crazy, right? Well, here's why. And I think the story goes on right after the Ten Commandments to actually show us why it's so important. Because Moses, he's walking down this mountain, it's hot, he's ready to get back to the people, he's got these gifts for his, for like his basically nation children that he's leading, and I don't know if any, I got any parents in the room that love getting gifts for their kids, you can imagine the excitement that you'd have, like, I got them what they wanted, this is, this is exactly what they need, and he comes down around the corner, and what he sees breaks his heart, because what he comes around the corner to is he sees that the people, while he's been gone, have built this golden calf out of the little remaining gold and stuff that they had in their, cap, in their camp and said, this is the thing, this God, little g, God, is what led us out of Egypt. This is the thing that did that. And I can't imagine what Moses would have felt like. We know that he slammed the tablets and broke them, had to go up and get some new ones, actually, because he was so frustrated, because he looks at these Israelites and he goes, guys, like, we got led out of Egypt by a pillar of fire, like a from heaven, onto the ground, like, don't touch it, it's hot, pillar of fire that led us. Have you guys, anybody else ever seen anything like that? I have not. The, he's like, the Red Sea parted. Have you guys seen the Prince of Egypt, best moves of your all time, where it's like, big walls of water? Come on, like, that's you, that's the God that you were following, and you think it was this thing? And I can imagine how frustrated I'd be if I were Moses. And I wonder if God would have tap on the shoulder of Moses there and go, hey, do you see the need to recenter on me? Do you get it? Because here's what happened. All three of those commandments were broken before Moses even went down the mountain. The first three. You shall have no other gods before me. Don't make an idol and bow down to it. Don't take my name in vain. All three of those things already broken. And so it's almost natural that the, la that the fourth commandment is, hey, take a day of rest to focus on me. Take a day of rest to focus on me. We need friends, and the need for Sabbath in our lives is the need to recenter on God. You can write that down if you want to. Sabbath gives us a chance to recenter on God. Megan and I have a three and one-year-old son, and we love them to death. They're so much fun, but any parents of three and one-year-olds at any point know that you love them and you'd like for them to go away sometimes. And so we're really, really lucky to have grandparents in our area, 
and so what they would do is they said, hey, on Fridays, we'd love to just take the kids for a day, and they go off, and they go to the beach, and they go play and have fun, studying this message on this idea of recentering. And I sat there, and I went, like, there's something about this day that we have. Like, it's a sacred time where the kids go away. I put away work. We put away all those things, and we just focus on one another. And I know not everybody has that, but, like, man, our marriage isn't falling apart. It's not terrible, but it's really good just to focus on us for a day, isn't it? It kind of recenters my week around the fact that you're the most important thing in my life outside of Jesus. Isn't that cool? Well, Jesus is saying, and the Lord is saying, we need a Sabbath day because we need to recenter on God. That's what we're here to do, okay? Second thing you need to write down about Sabbath. Sabbath is rest on purpose and with a purpose. Sabbath is rest that we take on purpose and with a purpose. There are purposes to the Sabbath. You see, for me, when I thought of Sabbath, I'm a lazy guy by nature, to be honest with you. So when God says, hey, go take a day off, I'm like, sweet, I'm out. Like, you know what I mean? Like, drop the mic, I'm gone. I'm like the margarita on the deck and like just read Lord of the Rings all day. That's my, that's my day of rest kind of thing. And what God was showing me was, dude, it's not just stopping work. It's actually about focusing on me. It's centering on something different than you. Isn't that cool? And so here's what I want to do, guys. I want to walk through the three things that I think God wants us to center in on during our Sabbath day. Whether it's a day or two days that you take a couple hours on. I believe that this can really change your life. So let's jump into these, okay? Main point number one, this is, this is the way that we're going to center on Jesus during the Sabbath. It's this. Sabbath is a time to recenter on submission to our king. Sabbath is a time to recenter on submission to our king. I do not like the word submission. I don't know about you guys. I'm not a big fan of it. I'm not a big fan of this idea of letting someone else call the shots. But I read this verse that totally blew my mind this week because I'd never heard it before. And it's in Exodus chapter 31, verse 13. It's going to come up on the screen. And I want you to see this language. God says this to Moses, 13, or I'm sorry, 11 chapters after this. He says this, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you and throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. Let me read that last part again because it's really, really important that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. Because when I think of the Old Testament and the law that God has just given, I always thought, like, the way that Old Testament people got right with God, the way that they grew in God, was by keeping the law. Keep those commandments and then you'll be right with God. That's kind of what I've thought all the way up until this point. But here's what this verse says. It says that I, the Lord, sanctify you. Not the law, not your works, not your giving, not your ability to come to church. I, the Lord, am the one that sanctify you. I'm the middle of that thing. And what God does is he removes us from the middle of orbit and puts himself in the middle. Friends, I love our culture. I'm a big fan of going out and being around in the world and being on social media, all of that stuff. But can I tell you, there's something in our culture that's kind of come into the church that's a little dangerous. And I've watched it over time, and I've noticed it in my own life many times. And it's who we put in the center of our orbit. You see, because where we are in our culture, it's us. It's always us. We are the center of our orbit, and then really close to our orbit is our families. They're always really close. And then there's maybe our friends, and then there's our work, and all these things swirl around us. And what happens is in the church is we replace God in the center and put ourselves there and go, hey, God, you may be the closest ring to me. You may be that closest orbiting ring to me, but it's still up to me. I'm still the one that you center around. You're an addition to my life. And guys, I want to call out our culture a little bit here because I notice this in my life a lot. I notice that I put myself in the middle and say, hey, God, I'm down to follow you until you go off my schedule. Or I'm down to follow you until you call me to do something a little uncomfortable. And then I'm looking at you going, hey, God, I'm the center, you're not. Let's be honest, right? Guys, 
what this is saying is the Lord's going, hey, even, even in sanctification, even in getting close to me, it's not you, it's me. And you orbit around me. And everything else follows. I'm the center of what goes on. Guys, submission is so important. And it's really hard in our culture. But it says, listen, God goes, this is not your power, it's my power. And Sabbath allows us to take a moment from the rest of the world where we're running our life and we're working hard, which is so good, and go, hey, God, you're actually God, not me. That's not very culturally kind right now, but you're God, not me. That's who you are. That's what this is all about. And friends, I'm reminded of my great-grandfather was a World War II veteran. Uh, He earned the Silver Star twice, and he was like a phenomenal hero. And he told my dad his stories, and my dad asked him all the questions that he could. And he said, Bill, what is, what, what's different than the movies? You know, we've got all these World War II movies and all these veteran movies. What's different? And he goes, one, there's a lot more waiting. It's not just battle to battle to battle. There's a lot more waiting. And then two, and then two, he said, there weren't a lot of lone wolves. Like, kind of like there are in those movies. There weren't a lot of heroes like there are in the movies. There were a lot of people following orders. That's how we got things done. And so what I loved about that story for us as Christians is we actually are in a battle. It's an eternal battle, and it happens all around us. It's spiritual. And God says, hey, when you come into my kingdom, you're one of my soldiers. And we have a commander that loves us and a king that loves us. But guess what? Our job is to get orders from him, I believe, on Sabbath, and then go carry those out in our week. I believe that that's what it looks like to be ambassadors for Christ, warriors for Jesus. And I hope that I can help you hear this, is that if God's at the center of the orbit, no matter what he says, we go do it. That's what submission means. And guys, for me, um, as I was thinking these things through, I I really like physical cues for this stuff. And so I'm going to challenge you to do something throughout this message a little bit uncomfortable, not here in the the room, but when you get home today, during your Sabbath day, I'm going to encourage you to take three different stances, like actual stances in your room, with your family, however you want to do this. And the first one for submission is pretty simple. It's kneeling, right? It's bowing before the Lord and going, God, you're king and I'm not. I hate this position. Guys, I don't want to bow to anybody. I'm, an, I'm a blue-blooded American, you know what I mean? Like, if the Queen of England were to come in here, I would be like, give her the gangster head nod, like, hey, you're awesome, cool, but I'm not going to bow to you. This is the only person I bow to. The only being I bow to is the Lord. And there's something about Sabbath stopping from where we're all equal all the time and going, hey, God, we're all equal in submission to you. You are king, I am not. So that's the first thing I want you to do. When you get home today, in the quietness of your room, Bow down before the Lord and just recognize for a moment, God, I submit to you. That's the first part of centering yourself on Sabbath, okay? Second one is this. Second one is this. Write this one down. Sabbath is a time to recenter on the grace of Jesus. It's the time to recenter on the grace of Jesus. I love this passage. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 2 says this. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace. Same word for shalom, which is often used Shabbat shalom. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with him. How? Through the cross, friends. Guys, there's something on Sabbath where if we were to just submit to God, that's great, but we've got something even better than just submission. We have grace. And there's something about where whenever Jesus called us over into his glorious purpose because he died on the cross, took the separation away from us that, was, that lived in us, our sin separated us from God, and then God's, when Jesus came and died on the cross, he took our separation on himself. And you guys, I, I, I've seen the passion of the Christ, these movies. The, the torture that Jesus went through was unreal on the cross physically. But the worst one was the fact that he took on the separation that existed in us from God on that cross so that we could be saved, right? Friends, this is so good. Write this down. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Because he was able 
because he was able to do that with us, because he was able to be on that cross, he's the rest for our eternal soul. We know that we're secure in him, and that's so good. We should take time to recognize that. Friends, I get to work with teenagers, and I get to work with young adults all the time, and can I tell you one of the biggest other things in culture that the Sabbath stands against is this lack of self-worth in culture today. There is a massive lack of self-worth in culture today. Don't let Instagram fool you. A lot of the people that I talk to in these more intimate moments where we're sitting down one-on-one, they say, I just don't know if I'm worth it. I don't know if I'm worth love. Honestly, I've done a lot of bad things, or people don't know who I really am deep down inside. They don't feel how I feel inside. And there's this lack of ability to say I'm valuable. Like even saying that out loud, I am valuable, is really hard for people, especially around my age right now. And we could talk about culture and how that happens, but the reality is what grace does for us is it declares our value in Jesus. That's for somebody here today. It declares our value in Jesus. Because if someone comes up and I say, hey, I'm selling this phone, and someone says, I'll offer you a million dollars for that phone, and I take it, this is now a million dollar phone because it was bought for that price. That's how it works. When Jesus grabbed a hold of your life, he said, you, 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 everybody in this room, you were worth my life, the life of God most high. You were worth that life. That means you're valuable. And I hope I'm speaking to more than just my generation here today when I say this, that we are made valuable by Christ's sacrifice. That should like, that gives me tingles thinking about that. That's crazy. And the Sabbath allows us once a week, really honestly, to go, God, I am valuable to you. And I can stop and remember. Because my life is chaos, guys. It's so busy. I'm sure yours is too. What if we slowed down for a moment each week and just said, God, you're valuable. Or you, you called me valuable by your grace. You've saved me. And not only that, you've made me valuable. No matter what the rest of the world says, you've made me valuable. Isn't that cool? I love that. And so friends, what I believe is, is that when we realize our value in Christ based on grace, we get to praise him. Because it's not about praising us. I'm valuable, I'm awesome. It's guess what? Remembering grace, realizing your value in grace leads you to praise the king. So when you're at home in your room today, when you're with your family, however you wanna do this, bow down first, bow down, submit to the king, say you are my king, but then stand up and we can raise our arms in worship. We can raise them wide, high in worship, just like we would here in worship and go, God, I can praise you because of what you did. You are praiseworthy because you've called me valuable by your grace. That's awesome. When the rest of the world says you have to do more to be valuable, the promise of Jesus says that you already are because of how he paid for you. We can praise our king in fullness. So raise those arms when you get home, guys. I'm telling you, it'll do something awesome to your heart, okay? Here we go. Last point, and then we'll be done. Sabbath is a time to recenter on God's eternal promise. Sabbath is the time to recenter on God's eternal promise for us. I want to read you this verse out of Revelation. Revelation 22, 17, then 20 through 21 says this, the spirit and the bride say, come, come into heaven. And let the one who hears say, come, come to Jesus. Let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Let's go to the next one. Please. Jesus says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen, Lord Jesus, come. Friends, I'm convinced as a church, as a people of God, we need to spend more time thinking about heaven. I know we have to preach to day-to-day, and day-to-day is important and all of that stuff, but there's something coming that, is, that should overshadow all of our lives, and it's eternity with Jesus in heaven. It's a place with no sickness, no pain, no hurt, no doubt, all the pretense torn down, all the separations that we've been experiencing torn down, all of that gone because of what heaven is going to be for us. That's our hope, y'all. And I'm telling you, it's so important each week to slow down and go, hey, God, I'm looking towards that because that's coming next. It's coming next. It should change how we live. Heaven should actually change our priorities. 
It should change our priorities. My wife got pregnant with our first son, Declan, and she told me, hey, Tim, in nine months, we're going to have a baby. Guess what I did? I bought a crib, and I painted a room. We did all that stuff, right? Dad's in the house. Y'all are like, we, we got to work when we heard, right? Imagine with me for a moment in an alternate scenario that would have definitely led to me not having a wife at this point. Imagine that she told me, hey, Tim, I'm pregnant. And I would have gone, cool, awesome, and just walked away. And then a month goes by, two months goes by, she's like, hey, so uh, we're going to have a baby. I'm like, no, I know. That's awesome. Cool. Walk away. Month five and six and seven comes. She's like, hey, maybe we should get a crib. Maybe we should register, like shower. I'm like, oh, no, we'll be fine. Just keep on going. Just keep on going. Month eight and nine comes, and I still haven't built a crib. I haven't made a baby room. Can you see where I'm going with this one? There's an anticipation of something amazing coming, but I need to shift how my life looks because of it. And there's something about heaven, friends, that it's coming. It's coming to us. Like God is calling us into that glorious future. And yet I think a lot of Christians don't look any different because of it. And it makes me nervous. It makes me nervous. Because I think that we need to look different because of heaven. I think we need to look different because of heaven. Friends, I hope that this, and this is not a shaming thing, it's just one of those things where I realize in my own life, I'm like, man, I don't think about heaven a lot, do I? Think about my day-to-day. But the reality is this great future is coming, and we can praise God for that. It can change our priorities. In fact, I was reading C.S. Lewis with my wife recently, and we were just so struck by how often this guy talked about heaven. Like, he's like, this is coming, this is happening. So even though all this craziness is going on on earth, we go, hey, guess what's coming? There's something so powerful about leaning back into yourself, getting to a quiet place and going, God, heaven is coming. And that's incredible, isn't it? Here's the deal. Here's the deal, guys. Remembering eternity shifts my priorities. Write that down. When we remember eternity on our Sabbath day, it shifts our priorities. Everything should shift in that way. So friends, remember I told you, kneel down. Kneel down, remember submission. Hands wide, we praise God for what he did for us in that cross. We remember that, and then we go eyes up. I know heaven's not up there, but whatever. Eyes up to heaven. Because here's the deal, we are looking to, in this moment, we go, God, as I go be your soldier, as I submit to you, as I remember the grace and the value I have in my life, I continue to fix my eyes upon that glorious prize. Go read Paul and count how many times he goes, I'm running for that finish line. That's everything I'm doing right now. I would love to see our church do that. I'm going to have the band come up on stage, and I'm going to finish off with just a quick little story of what happened uh, at Hume Lake this last, this last weekend, or two weeks ago. Sorry, I haven't slept. Anyway, but what happened at Hume Lake, guys, we, we got to experience Jesus there. I, I loved getting to have hard conversations with students where we were like, hey, what about this? What about this? And there was something really, really powerful that was going on in, in the night sessions all throughout the day. But I remember there was one point where I'm standing at the night session. Uh, which they have at like, you know, way too late at night, 8 p.m., way past my bedtime. And I'm standing up there, and I'm watching all of these students praise Jesus. Hands raised, eyes closed, stoked on life. The pastor comes up, and it's just, I mean, just as passionate as they come, right? And, and they're up there, and they're preaching, they're preaching, they're preaching. And I remember just looking around this, this circle, seeing students with their hands raised, seeing the pastor speak with such, like, incredible, insane passion, And then I remember just, like, there was this moment in my heart where I thought, Lord, and I'm going to be vulnerable with you guys. I haven't shared this with anybody else except for first service, sorry. But, like, before that, nobody. You guys are great. Um, I said, my nightmare is a passionless church. My nightmare is a passionless church. It's a church where we come to church on Sunday and sit down and then nothing changes. It's a Sunday where we come in and just go, "Ah, it's cool. I'm glad I got to see my friends. My family came. It's good for the family. It is good for the family. But... The passion that we should have based on who Jesus is and where we're going and the submission to the kingdom that we have, I was sitting there going, Lord, I'm terrified of a passionless church. And I don't think Seacoast is there, but I'm just going, God, like, 
I, I like legitimately had anxiety about, God, what if our church becomes passionless? What if we become people that don't really care about what God's doing? We just do it to do it. We just come to church to come to church. And friends, I remember that as I was reading through this, and I, I'd been struggling with this. This was just an inside my mind thing for the last two weeks. And I was like, God, like, are we part of a passionless church? What would happen? Like, how would that look? What would I do? I'm so nervous about that. And it was the Lord going, Tim, if they keep my Sabbath and they do it this way, never be passionless. Because if we were a church, friends, all of us in this room together, of people that submitted to the king, of people that praised Jesus every once a week where we just went, God, I'm just going to remember for a moment. And if we were people that said, I'm looking towards heaven, so no matter what God calls me to do, let's go. Guys, I don't know if... I don't know what would happen, but I know it would be incredible. Let's be a passionate church. And I think the way we do that is really simple. Slow down, stop each week, once a week, whether it's a full day, a couple hours, whatever you can really do, make it challenge you, but whatever you can realistically do, kneel down, stretch those arms wide, look up. Because if we can center our lives on Jesus, if he becomes the center of our orbit, guys, I'm telling you, this will be the most passionate church anywhere around here. People are going to go, what's going on down there? It's not you and me. It's not our preaching. It's not our worship. It's nothing like that. It's just Jesus because we focused on him. Jesus says this, you draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. We always take that individually. And it's a good thing. It's true. If you individually draw near to Jesus, he'll draw near to you. But if we as a church, friends, collectively draw near to Jesus once a week, I'm excited to see what God would do. I really am. So friends, I'm going to challenge you this week. Over the next four weeks, choose a time each week, whether it's a full Sunday afternoon or if it's a Saturday or if it's just, hey, Tim, I've got, I'm a single mom. I've got an hour right here. That's fine. Whatever you can do that challenges your heart, kneel down, stretch out, look up. Let's remember who Jesus is. Let me pray for you, friends. Jesus, thanks. I'm reminded that the Sabbath is not a chore. Um, it's a blessing. God, I'm reminded that the Sabbath allows us to look to you. And the fact that we can look to you means we have a God that cares about us. God, I pray that my friends would find their calling in that space, God, that they wouldn't just segment themselves down to a ritual regiment, God, but they would say, hey, if it's reading the Bible, great. If it's hanging out with friends talking about Jesus, great. If it's, if it's sitting by a fire and just looking out at the stars and meditating on who you are, great. God, whatever it is, make Sabbath happen. And make it be intentional. Rest on purpose for a purpose. Set us alight with your passion, Jesus. Please do it. I want to see what that looks like. I really do. God, I know you can. And so friends, right where you are, I'm just going to give you a second and then the band will start. What's holding you back from it? I've said it before when I've led worship. I'm going to say it now from the stage here. What's holding you back from truly taking that step into Sabbath rest? I'm going to ask that before you stand, before you jump into this worship, give that to the Lord. Let's do it collectively as a church. What's holding you back? give it to him, then let's stand in agreement to the song that we sing. Take some time where you're at.